You're listening to episode 41 of Pazitipotle. I'm your host, Rocío Carvajal, food history writer, cook and author. And on this podcast, I explore the gastronomic traditions of Mexico and bring together the voices of cooks, authors and entrepreneurs who build cross-cultural bridges around the world, championing Mexican food. To find more information about the podcast, please go to pazdechipotre.com. You can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, Google Play and YouTube. Welcome to this episode that will keep you on your toes, exploring all the Huasteca culinary and cultural region. We'll take a closer look at the exuberant land, ingredients and food that is emblematic of this gorgeous area. In previous episodes, I talked about the central high plains and the southeastern peninsula of Yucatan. Now is the turn of the Huasteca an area that is as ethnically diverse as it is culturally rich and, incidentally, has a real passion for music and dancing. I mean, what more could you possibly ask for? As usual, I have prepared a special YouTube version of this episode where you'll be able to see the landscapes, dishes and some maps that illustrate this journey. And for some practical inspiration for your foodie book clubs, remember to visit Books for Cooks on my website. And this week there's two new editions, Eggs or Anarchy, which explores the fascinating period of wartime Britain, that is in World War II, and how feeding one nation inspired many of our modern food policies in the world. And to make every day a special day and celebrate life just because, check my review of the cocktail godspell that it is Latin Twist, Traditional and Modern Cocktails, which is co-authored by the multi-talented and ever so glamorous Yvette Marquez Sharpnack and previous guest of the show, of course. And if you haven't listened to her interview yet, please do so, because it is a really thought and action-provoking conversation. Okay, going back to what brings us here today, let's jump on this train because our journey is about to begin. I hope you enjoy this episode. The cultural region known as Huasteca predates all forms of modern segmentations of what it is today, the Mexican territory, and covers a vast area from the central high plains to the eastern coast of the Gulf of Mexico, and shares this territory with many microcultural regions. There are many indigenous tribes that culturally identify themselves as members of the Huasteca region, and they are located in the modern-day states of 
Hidalgo, Puebla, Querétaro, San Luis Potosí, Tamaulipas, and Veracruz. The Huasteca people take enormous pride in their cultural heritage and annually they celebrate many festivals focused on their music, dances, gastronomy and folk art. From ancient times, the Tenec, Pames, Tepehuas, Nahuas and Otomi shared many unique and specific traits in spite of being independent tribes. But their systems of social organization, beliefs, commerce, agriculture, art, gastronomy, and, like I said, a particular talent and interest in music and dances made them quite distinctive from the rest of the Mesoamerican cultures. Another interesting aspect is the fact that they fought relentlessly to keep their autonomy at the face of the Mexica or Aztec imperial expansionism. And such spirit of independence was very much present even at the time when the Spanish colonization took place during the second decade of the 1500s. The geography of the Huasteca region includes a wide range of microclimates, but all of them share certain similarities, such as extreme humidity and elevated temperatures, because it has many tropical mountain forests and subtropical valleys, coastal areas and high plains surrounded by rivers and waterfalls. I really put a lot of time and thought trying to define an archetypical agricultural culture and I found it that it's incredibly difficult due to the fact that the six different states that conform it, which I just mentioned, are crossed by a volcanic mountain range and also has one of the country's most complex systems of rivers, creeks and waterfalls that creates a huge amount of microclimates. And I found that the School of Agricultural Systems of the University of Chapingo in Mexico has done extensive research on the subject and concluded that in the Huasteca regions there is a mix of farming that was introduced into the Americas in the colonial period and this activity is complemented with seasonal crops, the milpa system, which they keep for profit and for self-consumption. And that includes a variety of vegetables, fruits and legumes such as corn, beans, onion, cardamom and rapeseed, soy, sorghum, cotton, chilies, tomatoes, watermelon, mango, citrus fruits, coconut, papaya, plantain, and sugarcane. Just to give you an idea, let me tell you that the average temperature required to grow sugarcane is of 27 Celsius degrees, that is about 80 Fahrenheit, while onion, on the other hand, only needs 15 Celsius degrees, and that is 59 Celsius. That is how diverse this region is, that can go from really, really hot to really, really cool. From ancient times to this day, indigenous tribes regularly include hunting and fishing as an activity to complement their diet. Now, as you can see, the unique cuisines that have evolved in each corner of the Huasteca are as creative and unique as they are absolutely delicious. Now, before we get on with the food, which I know you are eager to dive in, and me too, believe me, I do want to take a moment to introduce you to the musical traditions of the Huasteca. You see, there is a folk genre that evolved from their rhythms and instruments, and it is called Huapango. It is so admired and loved 
that has even inspired many traditional and symphonic works, including Moncayo's Huapango, which I will play for you later on. Now, music historians point out that the very word Huapango derives from the ancient Nahuatl word Guapanco, which refers to the sound of stomping on wooden platforms, which can be just an upside-down box on the floor and might sound something like this. During the colonial period, there was an intense influx of cultural and artistic manifestations from Europe and many other parts of the world. Famously, string instruments like harp and a wide range of guitars and violins were rapidly adopted by the ever-so-growing mixed heritage or mestizo population of Mexico. And Huapango is a very good example of this, as it incorporates the use of such instruments and, in the case of the Huasteca Veracruzana, for example, has deep echoes of rhythmic basses and singing styles of the African slaves that worked at the many sugarcane and cotton plantations there. But another example in the state of Tamaulipas, which is further north, Huapango, includes other instruments like accordion. And in other areas outside of the Huasteca, people found Huapango so irresistible they even reinterpreted with mariachi bands. So as I introduce each corner of the Huasteca region, I will play for you a little bit of each particular style of Huapango. So lend me your ears now. Our first stop is the furthest state up north in the east coast of the Gulf of Mexico, and that is Tamaulipas. Famous for its hot climate, lagoons and beautiful coastlines, and its cuisine really marries the land with the sea. So let me tell you about the foods and drinks that are really representative from Tamaulipas. First, meat lovers celebrate the fact that after the introduction of goats to this area, whole cabrito asado, or roasted goat, became one of the most popular dishes from Tamaulipas, which incidentally many locals enjoy while sipping a little bit of huapilla sap. With hundreds of agave varieties in the country, almost each region has its own specific favorite varieties, and they have found their way into the local gastronomies. The sap from the Huapilla agave is of an amber cloudy color, and it's only similar at first sight to the sap from the pulquero agave. However, this is not nearly as sweet and rich, and it doesn't quite ferment like pulque. That is why a very popular way of serving Huapilla sap is by mixing it with lightly fermented tepache made with pineapple skins and spiced with cloves and peppercorn. Many corn-based products still remain deeply rooted into the local traditions, like corn atoles, venison tamales and bocoles, which are a type of gorditas, round and flat, made of corn masa that pretty much are like dumplings cooked on a griddle and stuffed with different dishes. A very interesting indigenous dish that is still very popular to this date and really didn't suffer many alterations over time is shrimp huatepe, which is a type of stew slash soup that is thickened with corn masa. And it can be prepared red or green. For instance, red is flavored with chipotle, tomatoes, epazote leaves, garlic, onion, and of course, a lot of shrimp. 
another very simple but delicious dish is stuffed blue crab, which here in Mexico we call jaiba. So jaiba rellena, as it is locally known, consists of stuffed and baked crab shells. Now jaibas, or blue crabs, are so popular and so abundant that they are also used in many soups and broths. In spite of the fact that Mexico is a really, really big country and the state of Tamaulipas is so far away from the capital, the cultural exchange that has taken place along the centuries, thanks to the many immigrant diasporas that had made of Mexico a temporary or permanent home, has also left an important culinary legacy, sometimes with many adaptations to better fit the Mexican's palate, and other times even the very names of the dishes had morphed into well, pretty much unrecognizable words. And I have a very good example for you. So it turns out that the English culinary influence specifically came hand in hand with the mining activity and exploitation of oil in the 19th century. And many regions adopted certain English foods. In the case of Tamaulipas, seems like mm, particularly sweet-toothed folk constantly prepared gingerbread. And probably to everybody's surprise, Tamaulipecos actually loved it, but they added their own touch by using jaggery to sweeten it instead of treacle. But it also seems that locals had some linguistic difficulties and just couldn't say gingerbread. So the name of these biscuits that are often caught in the shape of a little piggy came to be known as chichimbre. <laughs> which I think is actually really cute. So they went from gingerbread to chichimbre. That is a good name, isn't it? Now, last from Tamaulipas, there is another sweet treat, which is fairly simple to prepare and very popular, but I find it really interesting from a culinary point of view. So first, let me tell you that among the 64 catalog varieties of corn that are native to Mexico, there are a few of them that thousands of years ago, the indigenous tribes used to cook with a dry heat inside deep clay pots, and they heated them until all the seeds popped. That's right, I'm talking about momochitl, which is the original Nahuatl word for popcorn, and also were consumed loads as a snack, but also used for special ceremonies. But it turns out that with the introduction of sugarcane in Mexico, all of its byproducts found their way into our foods. And jaggery, or piloncillo, is certainly one of the most popular sweeteners in the nation's traditional cuisine. In Tamaulipas, ponte duro, or literally, bear in mind that it didn't come up with a name, get hard, is a sweet snack made of popcorn coated with a thick jaggery syrup and shaped into balls. So wait a minute, I think that makes Ponte Duros the original caramel popcorn. Now, who would have thought that Mexican indigenous tribes have been enjoying popcorn thousands of years before film was even invented? Following the coastline of the Gulf of Mexico, south of the state of Tamaulipas is the grand state of Veracruz, whose northern towns are a key component of the Huasteca region. So let's find out more about the Huasteca Veracruzana. The 
There are 24 municipalities of Veracruz that form part of the Huasteca. Among them are Tuxpan, Sontecomapan, Panuco, and Tantoyuca. All of those are names you've probably never heard before. But all of these cities have in common the fact that their closeness to lagoons, rivers, estuaries, and the Gulf of Mexico makes them a prodigiously fertile Eden-like corner of Mexico. Astonishingly, even to this day, the Tenec tribe of Veracruz honors its ancestral Mayan legacy. And I really think this is fascinating because thousands of years ago, the Tenec were part of that enormous cultural diaspora that were the Mayans, and their language still contains many phonetic aspects, that is sounds, and linguistic influences from Mayan but also they identify themselves culturally and even gastronomically as part of the Mayan people. So, speaking of the Tenec, one of the most emblematic dishes from them is the bolim, a giant tamal of sorts, prepared with masa made with broken corn rather than ground, which gives it a more interesting texture, and a sauce or recado. And it can be stuffed with chicken, pork or guajolote as a protein. Guajolote, by the way, is the Spanish name for turkey. And it gets more interesting because bolim is always served with a sweet drink, anatole, made with corn masa, beans, water, and is sweetened with jaggery. In other parts of Mexico, bolim is known by its Nahuatl interpretation because the Mexica tribe decided to rebrand this dish and also reinterpret it a bit, and they called it sacahuil, which is how it's commonly known, but its ancient origin is actually Mayan. Another signature dish of the Huasteca Veracruzana is chilpachole de jaiba, which is a soup prepared with blue crab and is really, really spicy. Another soup is huatepe. This rich and piquant dish is prepared with fish, blue crab, jaiba and shrimp. Now, there's a lot of chiles already in the soup, but if that isn't enough, Veracruzanos always garnish it with powder picking chile and some lime juice. Moving further from the coast, we find Papantla, where vanilla was domesticated. In Papantla, they prepared pulcacles, which are little tamales filled with pipián paste, beans, and hoja santa leaves, and they are wrapped in banana leaves and gently steamed until cooked. And one of my favorite dishes of this area is mole from the town of Jico, which is completely different from mole poblano. Mole from Jico has slightly looser texture, and it includes ingredients that came with the Colombian exchange, such as prunes and raisins, pecans, and some family recipes even call for hazelnuts and jaggery. And because seafood is so abundant, this mole is often served with a generous helping of rice flavored with powdered shrimp. Huasteca Poblana In the middle of the northern mountains of the Poblano Sierra, where clouds seem to spend more time hovering over creeks, streams, and earth roads than idly floating in the sky, five indigenous tribes call this rainy and exuberant area home, including the descendants of the Totonaca, Tepewa, Otomi, Nahua, and Popoloca tribes. 
Their traditional gastronomy has gone through an intense exchange over the centuries. And again, most of the villages share the same crop systems and similarly adopted introduced crops. But in this case, they are particularly delicious and to me, absolutely irresistible. And among them are coffee, citrus fruits and berries. Oh gosh, all this Huasteca food is making me really, really hungry. So let's dive straight into the dishes of the Huasteca Poblana. First, a classic celebration dish is peanut or pumpkin seed pascal, which is a dish similar to pipián, which is a rich and thick stew served with pork or chicken. Second, there is a popular seasonal delicacy consisting on toasted and ground chicales, which are a type of giant winged ants, and this sauce is used to prepare a pork stew and many other dishes. So it turns out cooking methods and cooking technology really changed the culinary traditions in Mexico. Many new drinks were invented using fruits, rum and aguardiente and ingredients from Mexico. In the Huasteca Poblana, Yolixpa is king of all of them. With an emerald green color, this strong spirit contains more than 30 local herbs that combined creates the strong and sweet flavor of this digestive. While the use of medicinal plants goes back to ancient times to treat bone and joint pains, it is also fair to say that this drink is widely enjoyed before and after rich meals and, you know, just because it's really nice. And speaking of booze, another popular drink is Akawul wine, which technically is not really wine because it's not made of grapes, but is a fruit liqueur. Akawul is an endemic fruit of this region, which is actually kind of smaller than a cherry, but it has a very similar taste. Now, because this part of Puebla is particularly blessed with a high altitude, and that is more than 6,000 feet or 1,800 meters above sea level, the rainy season lasts pretty much all year round. So foraging for edible plants and wild mushrooms is still an important part of the regional diet. Many edible herbs, commonly known as quelite, which include, among many others, papalo, quintonil, alache, huasontle, watercress, or berros, epazote, and verdolaga. And they're not only really delicious, they're also incredibly versatile. But I really think that my favorite treats from this area, apart probably from coffee, are the many traditional sweets such as candied figs, peanut and amaranth brittles, corn custard sandwiched in delicate slices of pastry known as manjar, and the irresistible cocadas made with candied fresh coconut. I think it's just about time we make a pause in our journey. So we will go to a little break. And when we get back, I will talk about the last two stops of our Huasteca adventure that will take us to the fantasy garden of an eccentric English aristocrat. And I will also introduce you to drunken sauces. You know, just to keep things interesting. Hello everybody, I am Elsa, I am a Mexican living in Paris and I love listening to Passage of my podcast because it brings me home and it teaches me a lot about the history and the culture of my country. Keep it up, Rocio, thank you. Sabor, this is Mexican food. 
is a digital editorial project that celebrates the wonderful world of Mexican gastronomy, the flavors, ingredients, and traditions that have shaped this world-acclaimed cuisine. And now you can purchase and download a bundle containing all four available issues, the origins, go-go, street food, and Mexican fiestas. Enjoy 23 thought-provoking articles and stunning photography that opens a window to understand and appreciate Mexico's rich culinary traditions. And unveil the secrets to prepare 43 delicious recipes that bring families together and will help you enjoy the making of your own traditions. Go to pasachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get your bundle of sabor. Enjoy it in all your digital devices. Go to pasachipotle.com forward slash magazine and get ready to cook, learn and enjoy Mexican food like you've never imagined. Huasteca Hidalguense The state of Hidalgo has the largest number of communities that are part of the Huasteca region. And some of these are Huejutla de Reyes, Huautzilango, Xochiatipan, and Yahualica. And all of these towns are as hot as they are humid. So let me tell you about the foods that I highlighted from this region. The honey from Hidalgo is produced by wild bees, but also by European bees. And it has many distinctive colors and flavors, as all of these bees primarily pollinate flowers from cacti like isote, garambullo, and mesquite. Which takes me to the next food, because it turns out that the fruits of this cacti are also equally valued as an ingredient to prepare sweet and savory dishes, and also just to enjoy them fresh. So these prickly pears, which in Spanish we call them tunas and choconostles, have flavors that range from very sweet and mellow to very sharp and acidic. The regional versions of stewed barbacoa and misiote are equally popular here. Locals are far less fussy when it comes to choosing their meat. While sheep and ram are really the mainstream kind of meat, there are also many misiotes and barbacoas that are prepared with rabbits, squirrels and tlacuaches, which you might know them as possum, or if you're American, opossum. And speaking of really nice dishes, a variation of the giant bolim, which remember I mentioned from the state of Veracruz, and sacahuil, which is the Aztec variety, the good people from the state of Hidalgo has their own big tamal, which is called shahol, but some people also call it shohol, which has a fairly more modest size, and one piece can just about feed five people. I promised you booze in your salsa and I have to deliver. So it is time to mention salsa borracha, which is prepared with a delicious fermented sap of giant agaves. Yes, I'm talking about pulque. And this is a particularly strong salsa with the added flavor and texture of pulque and crumbled cheese to add a very interesting bite. Now, it turns out that agave plants not only provide the people from Hidalgo with flowers so bees can make honey and sap to ferment and get drunk, the skins of the leaves are also used to wrap misiote parcels. And if the human's intense interest in these poor plants wasn't enough, well, moths also give them a hard time by drilling holes in the leaves and the roots where they deposit little baby eggs that turn into larvae and eat 
the plant from the inside out. Now, luckily for them agaves, humans also love worms, and these delicious red worms, known as chiniquiles, are harvested and sauteed to prepare delicious tacos. And last but not least, speaking of insect protein, escamoles, which are ants' eggs, a very precious superfood that our indigenous ancestors used to eat. Escamoles are so versatile, and they make excellent patties, tacos, quesadillas, and gorditas. Our final destination of the day is the beautiful state of San Luis Potosí. San Luis is nested in north-central Mexico, and its colonial cities, including the capital, have a dignified air of modest elegance. Now that was poetic, wasn't it? And speaking of poetic, this provincial charming state became the adopted home of two English immigrants that together pioneered surreal art in Mexico and took their creations to a whole new level of weird. So the story goes like this. Edward William Frank James, or Edward James for his mates, was an English aristocrat and rumoured has it he was a royal bastard of Edward VII. And of course no one knows for sure if this is true, which makes it a good mystery. But he really was passionate about experimental and surreal art and became quite a splendid patron and collector. In a very random turn of events, he made a trip to Mexico in the early 1940s and visited Santa Maria Xilitla in the Huasteca Mountains of San Luis Potosí, where he had a revelation. Fueled by the intense visions of Lewis Carroll, Picasso and Dalí, and probably with too many tequilas in his system, he decided to create a magical garden full of strange sculptural artwork that seemed to pour out of the rocks and trees. Around that time, he met the Lancastrian artist and political activist Leonora Carrington, whom he took as a protege. Carrington fell instantly in love with Mexico's own surreal spirit and remained in the country until she died at the age of 94. And to this day, there are many of her sculptural works and paintings that survive in different cities and galleries in several states of Mexico. Today, the sculptural garden in Las Pozas Xilitla is a protected heritage site and a great playground for lovers of nature, concrete and surrealism. And here are some of San Luis's delicious secrets. Now, I know many will jump if I don't mention at the top of this list the very famous enchiladas potosinas, prepared with little corn tortillas made with a spicy masa stuffed with queso ranchero, tomatoes and chiles, and they are cooked on a griddle, then pan-fried and served with more crumbled cheese, fresh cream, guacamole and refried beans. Mmm, oh gosh, this is making me really hungry. Now these little devils are not the only enchiladas around, because sesame seed enchiladas, also known as huasteca enchiladas, are just as popular. They are topped with a sauce thickened with toasted sesame seeds and served with cecina, which is a type of dried meat, and of course, with a good helping of beans. Not surprisingly, San Luis also has its own version of the giant sacahuil tamal, which is equally prepared for special occasions and can feed, well, you know, however much hungry people can handle of its 5 meter length of tamal goodness. 
Another dish that I actually remember my paternal granddad going on about it all the time is queso de tuna. And no, it's not an actual cheese and it's not made of fish. It's actually similar to queen's jelly. In Mexico, we call these very thick and firm fruit jellies ate. And they make a really delicious and nutritious snack. And last but not least, I want to mention a delicious rabbit stew made with pulque. The sauce really develops an amazing level of depth and richness. And for those who like the idea of eating frugal, field mouse in broth or caldo de rata is another popular dish, is lean protein and equally full of flavor. So there you have it. The culinary traditions that have evolved in the large Huasteca region are incredibly significant for many reasons. One of them being that, in spite of being the home of many and very different indigenous groups, through their cuisine and cooking methods, they all manifest a deep bond between the worldview and even spirituality, that it takes form in the way they transform their landscape into edible creations. You see, in the indigenous world, the earth is seen as a living entity, literally as Mother Earth. And in many ways to this day, in our mixed heritage cuisine, in the relationship and care and deliberate decision we make to process ingredients as little as possible, there is indeed great wisdom behind this, and also has everything to do with the fact that it's incredibly difficult to reproduce these flavors outside Mexico. While you and I, of course, can source most of the products abroad and follow impeccable technique, one simply cannot reproduce the flavor of the soil, the heat of the sun, and the exact timings in the farming process. The French have a word that comes very much at hand, and that is terroir, which refers to the combined conditions such as sun and soil, wind and rain, and the specific agricultural process that allows us to harvest all of this goodness. So I'll tell you exactly what makes Mexico's terroir so special, and that is because for many cultural, historical and even political reasons, our traditional agricultural processes have remained almost unaltered in deep rural Mexico. So, while highly industrialized nations are struggling to go back to a more sustainable way of producing food, we have enjoyed that almost uninterruptedly for thousands of years. Mexican food is often seen as exotic, really much more so than we might think, and I really think that we are still quite behind exploring understanding and taking full advantage of the potential behind all the food knowledge in our culinary regions. And I absolutely think that gastronomic identity is the bedrock upon which we can stand in a globalized world, and much more so because we can take that knowledge with us to anywhere in the world. And today, we have raised our glasses in honor of the mighty Huasteca. Viva la Huasteca!
Thank you for listening. This episode was written and produced by me, Rocio Carvajal. I know that most of you enjoy the show on the go, commuting, running, and even cooking, and I'm beyond happy and grateful for that. But let me tell you that the YouTube version of the show also comes with great extra material that illustrates the foods, landscapes, and traditions that fill every episode. So go to Passage Butler's YouTube channel and check all the video library that goes back all the way to the very first episode. Remember, there's many titles you can check in my Books for Cooks section, like Frida's Fiestas with tons of delicious recipes, and Frida Kahlo at Home by the amazing Suzanne Barbesat, whom I recently interviewed and we talked about all things Frida. The next culinary region we will visit is the Pacific North and Midwest, where we will indulge talking about the incredible landscapes and food of the Mexican Californias, Sonora, Sinaloa, and the Nayarit Riviera. So brace yourselves for that one. Send me your comments, questions, or just reach out to say hi via Instagram, Twitter, or drop me a line to hello at pasachipotle.com. Well, that's it for this week, my friends. Until the next time.